Hello and welcome to the Gooners Podcast. Hey, Mike, at what point during that intro do you regret starting the intro? Because I, I, regret, I literally it. was good. Two My first in. words on this podcast were going to be, I always regret having that intro on when we have a, an esteemed guest rather than just our own. Yeah, I, uh, I, sh- I should have probably screened it a little bit more. But Andy, you good? This is two in a row for you, I believe. Yeah, it is. Uh, top four is on. Top four is on for you, Jared. Feeling all right, doing well. Got the you know Dennis Burkamp thing behind you, which is Back disrespectful to today's guest, I think. But uh, but we'll allow it. That's what this podcast is all about. But no, doing good. Back to be glad from a short hiatus, and uh, I think forget Andy's top four. We're going top three. Going top Ooh. three. Well, speaking On the of chase. top three, we have this, this man is either top three, possibly top one. Uh, of the guests that we've had on the podcast. So we are thrilled. I, I normally do a five minute over the top introduction. I'm not going to waste anybody's time uh, and, and waste uh, Alan's airtime by doing that again. You've seen him on the podcast. You've seen him on the screen. You know him. You love him. Alan Smith, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you. Hey, pleasure to be here, chaps. Really good. Yeah. Look, I mean, I love that intro as well. The uh, the credits. Fantastic. <laughs> It's all, it's all uh, what, that guy. Uh, I, I did an intro that was much more embarrassing than that, and it looked like a, you know, a, a kindergarten, uh, kindergartner put it together. But, uh, but yeah, we're we're in the big time now. So, um, just want to say hello to everyone that's joining us in chat. Uh, if you're not here yet, you're not hearing this, but uh, but you're late. Thanks to Mark Brady's banana, uh, Danny's in here, Dempsek, uh, Arnie's in here, and a few others. I will. Uh, We'll, we'll give another shout out to you in a little bit. But uh, Alan, the last time we talked to you, it was in the second hour of 24 of a uh, marathon charity podcast before the season started. Uh, I was probably pretty sprightly at the time. It didn't last. Uh, but uh, we, you know, we, we didn't write, really know what this season had to hold for us. Um, we asked for some predictions. They're not embarrassing for once, so I, I'm not throwing anything back in anyone's face. But you had you had Chelsea, City, Liverpool, United, Arsenal in sixth, Palace, Watford, and Norwich going down. So pretty astute, uh, if I do say so myself. You you, uh, you you're pretty on target. Um, but a lot has happened since then. Um, after a slow start, we have really kind of put things together a little bit. But I want to obviously get your overall viewpoint on what the season's been like for, for Arsenal. Cause it really has been one like we haven't seen in a few years. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so, so pleased to say it. Um, and I'm sure all Arsenal fans are, uh, I'm sure all you lads are, um, you never know in this game, do you? And, uh, you know, I've always had faith in Arteta. It's been, shaken once or twice as he, he's been learning and making some mistakes along the way which is inevitable really for a new manager but uh for him now you know he's taken a chance i think on several fronts in terms of letting players go and bringing players in that not many people in the wider public had heard of last summer um but um it's it's come good it's it's a as we all know it's a very young team now with lots of potential it's only going to get better uh, and there's a vibe about the place, you know. I've been to the Emirates a few times this season and it's noticeably louder. That feel-good factor's back. People are excited and, God, how long ago was it that that was the case, really? Many fans, I think, as you said, Mike, were coming into this season just not expecting much at all, just fearing it, really, dreading it. Didn't know what was uh, awaiting the team. So where we are now, it's it's brilliant. And, you know, some competitors of ours in that league aren't in as good a position. I think they'll be envious of us in terms of the age group of that squad and the ability within the team. I'm starting to see some of that from, you know, just in my limited exposure to other teams, supporters, both, you know, random people on social media, as well as my football loving friends here in the States who happen to support other teams as they're completely misguided. Um, you know, they're starting, you know, the, the tide is starting to turn. They're not making fun of us anymore. They're a little worried about us. So um, you brought something up about a vibe that I, I want to skip ahead in, in what I had planned on talking about, because if there's anyone that understands what being in a club that was going through a massive transition with both management style, players, personnel, it's you and it's 1987, 88 timeframe. 
Um, and you know, a lot of people draw parallels between Mikel Arteta and 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 Unai. Uh, I'm sorry, and uh, Arsene Wenger, based on kind of the the way that they talk about the club, how they handle the media, and so on. But how how much correlation do you see between 2021-22 Arsenal and 1987-88 Arsenal at this point? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot, aren't there? I didn't really realise it until other people pointed it out. And I thought, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I arrived at the club, quite a few of the senior lads had left. Um, the likes of Tony Woodcock, Charlie Nicholas left shortly after I arrived. Graham Ricks left. A lot of the boys that had been at the club a long time, and importantly, perhaps, were on big money as well. And George Graham came in and uh, I think he was instructed to, to lower the wage bill. Um, and the way he did it was, was sensational in terms of his recruitment. But I think he'd be the first to admit that uh, he was so fortunate to have that raft of talent coming up through uh, from the youth team. We all know the yeah. names. But 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 here we are once again. I mean, we instead of Kevin Campbell and... and uh... And others, it's 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 Bukayo Saka and it's uh, yeah. ESR and and it's a it's a mix of those. We we we've got players in from uh, that might not have necessarily been well known, like Tomiyasu and, and Tavares yeah. from from teams that that aren't your traditional. I mean, we got one in from Real Madrid, but it's not like it has been in the past. Whereas 30, 30 years ago, it was teams like I don't know Leicester and Stoke and Colchester. So I, I mean, I, I see some amazing, and and even down to the manager, being pretty hardcore about discipline and playing as a unit. I mean, I, I just you would know more about Mikel Arteta kind of behind the scenes, obviously, than most of us would, uh, and you would know a lot more about George Graham. But I mean, are their management styles in what way are they the same? In what way are they kind of divergent well, from each other? First of all, I'd just like to say I think it's harder than ever now to recruit players with hunger and to form a squad that's got that desire that you mentioned and that hunger. Because obviously once the modern day player has been at the top level for two or three years, he's financially secure. There are no worries from that point of view in terms of how they used to be. You're always fighting for a better contract, fighting for getting that team, for me, score goals, get a better boot deal, getting the England team. It's not quite the same now. So for any manager to retain that hunger in a squad is a great achievement. And you can do that with youth. I mean, that youth's got to be talented. But thankfully, Arteta has managed to, to get that together. So 10 out of 10 for that. And, and he'll be delighted with that because he's a hungry manager, isn't he? Just like those, just like Saka and Smith-Rowe and the like, he's at the bottom of the rung as a manager wanting to prove himself. Uh, George Graham... He had a bit more experience having been at Millwall, but coming into the top division for the first time, coming back to his old club, as Mikel is, desperate to prove himself and, and leave his mark. Uh, so a lot of similarities. Also in terms of, you know, he draws the line. Both managers would draw a line that you can't step over. And if you do, there'll be ramifications. So it's strong management. Strong management, uh, certainly. In the modern day, he's not always what we see. And, and you know, it, it's a saying in football, you give players an inch, they'll take a mile. And maybe that's true and ever than ever. So you've got to be firm. Alan, do you find, uh, you know, th when you were playing throughout your career, obviously we're on an upward trajectory, right? And we have games in hand. How much of that mentally affects the players as well as the locker room and like the narrative of the, of the coaching staff? Is it just, hey, Watford, 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 that's our focus? Or is it like, you know, your next match? Or is it a, hey, we have these game in hand, we have to plan for this? Like, how does that work for just, you know, in general across the across the? There's a correlation to May 1989, talking yeah. about having games in hand, but maybe looking ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, any, any player looks at the table, of course he does, because you know, you've only got to switch on the TV or look at social media and, Arsenal fans are talking about the top four and, and, of course, within that dressing room, all the players will be desperate to finish there and get back in the Champions League and, that, and they'll look at the table and they'll see the three games in hand and they'll work out which games they might be and what are the chances of, of getting the points from that. 
uh, it's just important that, um, that the nerves, the tension don't get to them. But given that it is a young team, I can't really see that happening. It might, there might be nerves in the Emirates as, as the season progresses, as we get closer and closer to the finishing line and, and achieving that top four. But uh, I think the boys who are in that team now, that they're going out there, playing with three, them enjoying it. You know, it, it's a great opportunity for them. Um, they, they know they're good players. They know they're good players. They've got that faith in their own ability. And uh, um, I, I don't see any problems from that point of view. So in that vein, as we kind of move forward and we're in the, you know, the final sort of third of the season here is basically where it falls. It, it seems like there's a kind of confidence in the Arsenal fan base that we haven't seen in a number of years about potentially getting top four and we're on a really good trajectory. Do you see that as sort of affecting the team that there is sort of now a little bit more pressure from the fans that now this really is sort of an expectation they're putting on them? Or do you think that's something that the players sort of feed off of and will continue to sort of progress in their performances because of that and, and seeing that sort of light at the end of the tunnel in Champions League football? Well, you know, the boys have set the bar, haven't they? They've set high standards. Uh, going back to George Graham, he always said, once I've seen your uh, best, whether it's in training or on a match day. I want to see that consistently day in, day out. So for Arteta, it is setting those, those high standards. And and yes, sometimes when they drop below, the fans will be moaning. The players will be hearing those moans and groans. And, and it's how you handle it. You've got to get through it. We, we've seen some tight matches, haven't we, at the Emirates lately. But the boys have uh, have come through. They, they've, they've stuck to the task. So... Uh, Listen, if, if, if they're going to make it, um, they've, they've got to hold the nerve. Um, and and I, I, I really don't think there will be a problem there because mainly of the youth and allied that with the talent. I think, I'm not saying they're going to get a top four base. I hope to God they do. I think it's going to be tight. But um, I don't think nerves will play a part in the end. It might be a, a lack of, you know, we're just a little bit short of goals. Um, but, um, you know, I don't think nerves will be a problem. So first of all, if you're in the chat and you want to ask Alan a question, please put it in now. We, uh, there, we have the ability to kind of start and come back, come back to it later. So, uh, we've already got one or two in there to ask Alan a little bit later in the show. Um, so, you know, don't wait. If you have something to say, go ahead and put it on in there. Um, so not to, to, uh, to cast aspersions on any recent Arsenal players or anything like that. But uh, does it bother you? I've always wondered this, you know, ever since Olivier Giroud left the, 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 the team as one of the most prolific headers of the ball I've seen uh, in you, does it bother you that no one in Arsenal seems to either be willing or able to, to use that part of their body to redirect the ball towards the goal other than, center backs on a corner kick. I mean, it's it's been a long time now that we haven't had anyone that could do that. Yeah, It's well, a vital part uh, of the game. Well, it's a part of the game, yeah. There's more than one way to score a goal. Um, I'd like to see how many headers Man City get from open play. I don't know. Maybe they get a few, but from memory, obviously a lot of their balls into the box are cutbacks from the byline and what have you, and they're tapping it in. Um, Lacazette's not the biggest, but You'd expect him maybe to be a little better in the air than he is, um, but yeah, we're not a big, we're not a big attack, are we? We think of Smith Rowe, no, the Garden, uh, Saka, uh, so uh, they they have to adjust to that. Um, it would be nice to have that option because you know sometimes when you're playing against mass ranks of the defence, defending deep, and, and if you could just get to that byline and swing one in or swing one in from a decent angle and attack it, it, it can. Uh, it can bypass a lot of defenders. Uh, yeah, just but, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see, Mike. I mean, listen, in the summer, we'll see what kind of striker he buys or strikers. Um, a lot of uh, mention of Isaac, isn't there? The Swedish boy who's, who's pretty tall, but uh, yeah, we'll see on that front. I'm sure he'd like to change that. Ooh, I think we got an exclusive, Mike. He said strikers. Well, Alan clearly knows. Well, someone else. I don't know who the second person he mentioned was. No, remember, no. remember when all he gave I'm us the exclusive about not being on FIFA? This is this is even better. <laughs> no, all I'm saying is, listen, if Lacazette goes 
And Ketia goes, we've got to get more than one, haven't we? We've got to get two. Uh, so uh, that, that's the only reason I'm saying that. There's, there's no real inside knowledge there. Alan, you know, Mike brought up a good point. Like, we don't have an out-and-out striker that, that likes to attack the ball in the air. But we've played a couple matches this season where we've been, like, close or breaking records for crosses into the box. Tactically, like, how do you explain that when, when you know that you don't have that, that threat? Is it still like, hey, we're just going to wait for the defense to clear it out to, like, an Odegaard or Smith Rowe in that, you know, top of the, you know, the, the box? Or how do you explain that? It depends what type of cross it is. Because, you know, a whipped ball, mm. look at Diogo Jota at Liverpool. He's one of the smallest men in their team. And how many headers has he got? He's got that great ability to anticipate, to get ahead of his man in the box and time his jump well. So you don't have to be tall. Uh, and the ball's played in towards him, a quality ones. Uh, so obviously a high looping, aimless cross, it's going to be tough for those boys to win it. Uh, but a ball played in with pace, with intent in a good area, you don't necessarily have to be the tallest to, to get there first and get your head on it. Yeah. And that's interesting. When we talk about summer signings and strikers, we're looking a lot at players who have an aerial ability that's kind of the desire of the fan base. How much do you think it plays in when we talk about sort of the continuity this team has and the attitude this team has? How much of the character side of incomings do you think the team's looking at? And especially over the last 18 months to two years, do you think that's been more of a focus to sort of bring in what are looked at as high character team guys rather than just, you know, star players potentially with a good goal record? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, Jared, that's absolutely vital. Uh, I think they've um, generated a really good spirit within that dressing room now. Uh, and they certainly don't want to spoil it. They have to think long and hard about who they bring in. Yeah, you want to bring in talented lads, but you want to bring in boys that I mentioned the word hunger and desire before that want to achieve things in the game. Um, so that, there's a lot of work goes into it, into the background of players, talking to a lot of people. Um, and that, that, that that's half the trick. I mentioned Liverpool. They've been brilliant, brilliant at it over the last few years. You know, Leicester have had great success as well that they've brought in players that haven't upset the apple cart that have bought into what the manager wants to what is required in the premier league um so arteta's done well so far hasn't he you got to say that with uh, with those lads um so let's hope he can continue it um because up until now that recruitment side of the club has been um totally transformed i think uh and and all of a sudden we're bringing in players who are on the upward curve yeah, and, and we seem to be hitting hitting the mark on virtually all of them, uh, as opposed to you know a thirty three percent success rate in the past few years. So one of the players that's been mentioned in the last couple of days by some journalists, by uh, by others, uh, is an interesting one, and it's Robert Lewandowski. Now I don't know if there's any. I mean, I, I doubt that there's any truth or legs behind this, but the question was posed at this point exactly where we are right now, would you bring in a 33-year-old Robert Lewandowski for two years, given the level of performance that he's still putting up, at knowing that it's going to break the wage structure, but as a way of essentially transitioning to younger, you know, eventually long-term number nines in our club? Would you make that that gamble, I guess it was, you know, it would be on, on, on a singular singular player who is just based on, raw age and numbers getting close to the end of his career it, i mean it would be a tempting one wouldn't it it, it really would because i think he's a good character he would he would come across and, and want to do well in a in a new league to him even he, at 33 he's as fit as a flea i mean he takes his shirt off and he's ripped and he works really hard on his fitness but uh it's the antithesis of everything now Arteta's been trying to achieve, really, isn't it, in terms of bringing in young, hungry talent. Um, he tried it with William, didn't he, to a certain extent. He, he thought he would be the difference to get them over the line into the Champions League spot alongside those young lads. And, you know, who, who'd have thought William would be such a failure at Arsenal when he was so consistent at Chelsea, so hard working? You never quite know. Um, 
It seemed like a low risk signing (laughs) and, and it turned out to be anything, but considering the way he was used and relied on. Well, having, having got rid of a Bamyang and Ozil and that to to bring in a player on God knows how much a week, I I would imagine he'd shy away from that Arteta. Yeah. I I think the question was like, would you bring him in for two years at 400,000 a week? And I, I just, I, you know, as much as I love the player and I was salivating over him back when he was at Dortmund um, and, and, you know, early on when he was at Dortmund, I just, I mean, the, the window is passed on that. And if we're, if we're, if we're thinking about not just the next two years, but the five or 10 years beyond that, it could be a perfect patch and a very good patch in the sense that he probably scores you 20 goals a year. And that's what you want for the next two seasons. But it just seems you know, then are all the other players going to look at the 400 and say, I want 350 instead of, you know, Saka, who's probably on on pace to get extended at 180 and 200. And it just kind of destabilizes things. I think we've got things good right now. Let's not let's not change it up. And that's why I'm shockingly to myself saying no to Lewandowski if he's actually available. Um, I want to take a yeah, quick departure. If I let him go, I've got to say. I would be surprised if Bayern Munich let him go after what he's achieved over the last two seasons, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of guy that that kind of you want to have retire there if you're Bayern Munich. But Hmm. um, a quick departure, because I want to ask you a question that I haven't asked you before. um, And switching off of kind of Arsenal for a moment and talking about Gunners versus Cancer. um, I've always mentioned when when you've come on how appreciative I am of, of the help that you provide, the... I mean, you've never complained. You've never, you've never said no to anything that I've asked you to do. Uh, I hope not to ever reach the point where I ask you to do something so ridiculous that you say no. But I thought we might have reached that point with this with this jersey that we've been talking about a lot lately. And I just, I came up with this idea two years ago and brought it to your attention. And to my surprise, you said, you know, it's a great idea send me the shirt and leave it with me. And I did. And, you know, I didn't want to keep pestering you about it because I knew it wasn't something that was easy and it probably wasn't going to happen. And a few months later, I get the most incredible piece of Arsenal memorabilia I've ever seen. And it was even better than I had imagined it in my mind. So first of all, thank you. Uh, because, I mean, I've had people say, how do I even know this is legit? I'm like, well, ask Alan Smith if it's legit or not. He, you know, he facilitated it. But are you willing to share with us kind of the the process of getting that shirt done? Because I really don't know. I know what needed to get done to make the shirt, but, like, tell us a little bit about, you know, how from the point the shirts appear at your house – to when they appear at my house, what what you had to do and 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 how it all came together. Yeah, well, I suppose you got to thank the uh, English Postal Service for it uh, <laughs> first of all, the US one for for getting the shirts to me. But um, what I did, um, we've got a WhatsApp group for the eighty nine boys, so I just messaged them and said, "Listen, you know this is for a fantastic cause." If and and I. Um, I uh, sent them the message via WhatsApp and I said, you know, obviously this is the commentary line. Could you put that down and then put your autograph underneath? Um, and, you know, they all said, yes, of course we will. That, you know, footballers, when they're able to help such a great course, cause so easily, really, just with a, with a scribble on a shirt, you know, 99 times out of 100, they'll do it. So, I mean, I don't see them all very often. I, I see Dicko. Um, at matches because he works for NBC, so quite often he's at the same game as me. Um, Mickey Thomas, not so much. He comes down every now and again from from up in the north uh, west. Uh, John Lukic, I very rarely see. Lukic, bit of a that was the one in many ways. That was yeah, the one I've he, I've he, never he, had any contact with. The other three, yeah, you know, you, yourself, Lee, and Michael have been on the show before, but I but Michael had kind of come off of Twitter and, and it was harder to get in touch with him. So the, but the one that you yeah, no, immediately no. said, I'll, I'll check with Lukey to see if he'll do it. And I'm like, Oh, this is actually going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he was fine. Once I got through to him, I think via his daughter's or his son's uh, phone number, I don't know what it was, but uh, no, they were, they were all great, Mike. So it was just a question of um, telling them the exact words 
and then uh, saying, you know, make sure you leave space for all the rest of us, uh, and then posting it up there and getting it back and then posting it to the next one. I didn't ask them to, you know, Lukey to post it to Lee. I thought, no, get it back to me and then I'll do it. Um, wow. So it, it worked. It worked out. It worked out fine, mate. And then obviously getting getting it to you that that was the easiest part, really. Well, I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I mean, it's 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 work. It's it's it isn't just signing something on a on a shirt or on a piece of paper for you. It it was it was work. It was influence. It was uh, expense. It was time, and and I just it means so much to us. And that you know the shirt is is currently being auctioned uh, on GoonersVCancer.com. Not not really auctioned, but it's being raffled off. We decided that the best way to try to maximize the the donations was to get 500 entries at twenty five dollars, or about eighteen pounds each, so that you'd have anywhere from you know three to five hundred people, depending on how many entries they bought, with a chance of winning this shirt and each of them not having to really donate that much in order to get a chance. And, and so I'm excited to draw it when we get to 500. Uh, I think we're, we've still got about 35 or 40% uh, at least of the entries still available. So about to start a new publicity blitz on some other channels and so on to get the word out there because I've been pretty pretty lax on that in recent weeks. But I, again, thank you so much, Alan. And, and just my heroes in sport, my favorite team of all time, My you know, some of the people that I, I fell in love with this team because of to be willing participants in this just means the world to me. So is that uh, open to everybody, Mike, just to make it clear worldwide, anybody can buy about Absolutely anybody. Out. And the, the more, yeah. the more help and publicity we can get to it, the more, you know, it, it's all you have to do is go to goonersvcancer.com. It's a donation page directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And yeah. if you donate the equivalent of, or donate $25, you get an entry. If you donate fifty dollars, you get two entries. And once we hit five hundred entries, we'll have raised twelve thousand five hundred dollars for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society with one shirt, um, and we'll immediately draw a winner out of the five hundred entries. So mm, that'd um, be amazing. I mean, as you've said, it is unique. Uh, you know, I've never been a part of a shirt like that. I've been a part of plenty of shirts where. You know, most of the team are on it, but to have the commentary lines as well—that—that's. That is unique. So yeah. well worth your twenty. Eighty-nine heads like myself. I mean, that that I, I fall asleep with that commentary running through my head almost every night. So, uh, so that shirt is fantastic. So sorry to, uh, for the detour, but uh, but please do check that out. Um, do we want to go to some user questions, or do you guys have anything? Uh... No, let's go to questions. Okay, perfect. Well, we have some excellent ones that were saved here. Uh, the first from uh, from Moss FC. Uh, Alan, break down our only strikers left, Laka, Eddie, and Balogun. Uh, and I'd add to that, do you consider Martinelli a potential fourth in that list? And uh, and who do you really like and think that, uh, you know, can help this team going forward? Yeah, I mean, Balogun, I don't know uh, whether he's going to be good enough. Uh, he's obviously out on loan at the moment, and that will do him good. Um Eddie Nketiah, I tweeted after the match the other day, well, I thought that was one of his best performances in an Arsenal shirt because too often I think he's he's come on. Obviously, he's done well in the Carabao Cup and, and scored a lot of goals, but sometimes when he's come on in the league, he's he's jogged through matches and I just don't think he's put in enough effort. He's not putting himself about. I mean, that's rule number one as a substitute. Run about, you know, whatever you do, just run about and put in the effort for the last 20 minutes. Uh, and he, he had a big impact, didn't he, the other day? Huge. He really did. Yeah. And so, listen, whether that will make him change his mind, whether he'll think and maybe whether Arteta will think that, oh, we might have a player here for the next few years who can can make an impact, um, that'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I don't know what he's thinking, what his agent's thinking. Maybe he's got a few offers lined up. Uh, but uh, what I saw there made me think, well, maybe we should be really trying hard to keep him. Lacazette, what do you do? Do you give him a year's contract and see how it goes? Would he accept that? Uh, I don't know, because there is going to be a big turnover, isn't that? If both of those go, which isn't ideal. Two new strikers in perhaps to a new league, a new club. So we'll have to wait and see. It, it, it's, um, it's a big challenge for Arteta, that, uh, sorting out the strike balls. Excellent. Uh, Andy, you want to grab this one from Danny? 
Uh, why are you so hand? Oh no, that's a different question. <laughs> uh, who else came in for Alan Walsh at Leicester, and what made him pick Arsenal? Danny needs to read um, the book. Uh, yeah, who came in for me whilst at Leicester? Uh, Manchester United. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I do tell the story in the book. I was at home one night watching telly with my mum and dad. I was still living at home. The phone went, uh, which was always in the hall in uh, in England in those days. So my mum went out to answer it, and, and she answers it and puts it down and then comes back in to say, oh, Alan, Alex Ferguson's on the phone for you. This was in January 1987. So I signed in the March. And we had a, we had a brief chat, and it wasn't very long. Uh, he wanted me to wait until the end of the season and sign for United. And I said, well, Mr Ferguson, I've kind of made up my mind in my head I want to join Arsenal and they want me to sign uh, before the end of the season uh, as it turned out I signed on deadline day so he said okay if you made up your mind good luck with it and I put the phone down um, so that was the end of I mean you have to remember back then that United they uh, they were still a good few years from winning the title probably about four Four or five. So who knows what would have happened in that time? Would I? Have Ferguson stayed? was was in line for the sack. At that well, point. he was at one time. Yeah. Would I have stayed in the team? Would they have turned it over to try and get up there and win the league? I don't know. But I also um, met uh, Chelsea before I'd spoke to Alex Ferguson. Met um, Ken Bates and John Holland, who was the manager of Chelsea at the time, at a hotel uh, in Birmingham. Um, and again, I just didn't fancy it um didn't even get around to speaking about money which was very naive of me because i could have used that as a, a yardstick for future negotiations but i just you know politely declined well you, it, you, it, you might have made the really. same mistake that lee dixon made where where, where he uh he tried to pull a, a a negotiating tactic on on george graham and almost didn't make it on the team so <laughs> yeah that's um, right yeah yeah don't try that with george yeah yeah, so yeah, those were the two really. Those were two Chelsea and Man United. Little so known fact. Stop you in your tracks for one second, huh? Say that again, sorry, Andy. It, it didn't stop you in your tracks for one second to go, you know, should I be thinking about it or? Um, Chelsea didn't because they weren't really competing at that time. Uh, they were mid table, I think. Uh, I don't know. United, I mean, United's a huge club. It was then, yeah. it is now, obviously. And, uh, yeah, to turn down them, you put the phone down and you think, oh, have I done the right thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I didn't think that for too long, really. And, and once I'd signed for Arsenal, I, I just didn't look back. I never mm. had any regrets. I never thought about that phone call for a second, really. You know, the, what most people don't realize is that Manchester United was so stung by your rejection that they stood <laughs> on it for 17 years. And in 2004, they went out and signed themselves a completely different Alan Smith. That's it, and, yeah. They got there in the end. Well, the and, end. <laughs> and, you know, they, they didn't even know who the Alan Smith that they signed was. They just, they, they're like, we got to get ourselves an Alan Smith. And so they did. And by that point, you weren't available anymore. So uh, little it, known yeah. fact there. Yeah. You, get, you get trivia on yeah. this podcast. Jared, what's up? <laughs> All right. So we're going to go to the next one uh, from Moss again. Um, this is kind of a common question that I think a lot of people are going to have heading into the summer. Um, who are you hoping or rate the highest that would fit in with our youngsters up top in terms of the summer buying? And he mentioned someone like Isaac, who's a little bit taller. And I would kind of add to that question. Do you think, given the youth we have in those front positions, that we will go for another 20, 21-year-old player? Or do you think that's an area that we may try and add a little bit of maturity to the starting 11? Yeah, it's a good question, really, because obviously bringing in a 21-year-old to lead the line for Arsenal is, is a big ask. So do you bring somebody a few more years down the line? Uh 24, 25, you know, I'm sure Arteta wouldn't be averse to that. And Isaac, uh, I mentioned him earlier. How old is he? Early early 20s. He's he's not young, mm. young, I don't think, is he? Um, but, I, I mean, Mike mentioned Martinelli earlier, and I, and I didn't end up answering the question. He is possibly um, an option through the middle. We've only really seen him uh, on the flank. But as time goes on, he could possibly develop into... Uh, a choice for, for Arteta through the middle. 
it's a totally different game, obviously, from from out wide. But um, that that might be something that uh, that could be possible. But uh, as for you know possible targets, I don't know. Um, obviously, the the boy from Fiorentina went to Juventus, and he, yeah. he, he looks a good player. I saw him score on his Champions League debut the other night, and uh, he looks a handful. Uh, that didn't work out, but you've always you've always got to have plan B, plan C, plan D, haven't you, in recruitment? And I wouldn't mind betting that they have got um, very nearly uh, sorted some signings that they can press the button on once the transfer window opens, because I think they're in that position now. As much as they'd like to have done something in January, it's difficult. But uh, I would like to think that they're in a good position once the season finishes to to pounce and get one or maybe maybe two strikers. Do you think it was a gamble to I mean I, I I'm all for not not overpaying or or going to to plan E and plan F if you if you don't get your plan A, which is ser- which is clearly what happened in January with our transfer window uh and, and the lack of reinforcements coming and we didn't get the guys we really wanted and we weren't going to go and pay for people that we didn't want to pay that for. But, I mean, was that a significant gamble to you? And is it one that you feel will pay off as far as keeping lean and mean and 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 it's in a structure, but possibly giving up the best possibility? Not giving up, but but not having yeah, the yeah. full, full effort to get top four that you could have. Well, uh, listen, it, it's a gamble, isn't it? Because we are desperately short of strikers and... Uh, one or God forbid two injuries, and, and we're playing a false number nine all of a sudden in Smith Row, whatever. Uh, so it is a gamble. It's a calculated gamble from Arteta if he can see it through uh, and hopefully get a Champions League spot, and then you can attract a better calibre of player as well. So that's another factor. Um, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, there might have been, I don't know, there might have been an opportunity to get somebody in on loan, a short-term loan, just to uh, bolster the numbers up front. But obviously that that wasn't possible. The the quality of player wasn't there for Arteta. So at the end of the day, you've got to stick with your principles and your standards, more importantly, and uh, not just bring anybody in for the sake of it. But he'll have his fingers crossed now at every game that he doesn't get a a serious injury to one of his strikers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it... It would have been a serious gamble. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to look at the best of it. I didn't want to bring in a bunch of destabilizing, you know, the wrong people who weren't going to be better than the ones that we already have starting. Uh, and and a lot of clubs this 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 next four months are going pretty lean as far as numbers are concerned. It's just mm-hmm. the way that the game is right now. Uh, quick comment from Gary who said he got kicked out of the 89 WhatsApp group. Can you add him back in, please? Uh, thanks in in advance, and um, you know <laughs> no, who else is in the eighty nine WhatsApp group? <laughs> who? And is that is Wayne in that group as well? Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he is. Anyway, Andy's not He's getting in that group. Um, okay, next question. Let's see. We have oh. I think we get asked this every once in a while when we have you or, or Kevin uh, or, or Leon, but uh, you can decline if you want. But Don Juan asks, what's the craziest story you can tell us about Ian Wright? Uh, yeah, no, I think you've asked me this one before. Yeah, um, I, 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 I couldn't remember yeah. whether, whether we'd ask you or not. So, so Don, I'm sure you can, you can look in Wikipedia for crazy stories about Ian Wright. Yeah, I don't know about crazy, yeah. Some, somebody asked me something similar recently, and, it, and it, the thing I remember about Wrighty, I mean, the first thing I remember is that, you know, he, you heard him coming before you saw him, you know, he was such a loud, outward-going character, uh, full of confidence and energy, always kind of dominated the dressing room. But the thing I always think of with Wrighty is a bit of a sadder moment was in the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup at Highbury against Paris Saint-Germain when he got booked in that first half and he was beside himself at half-time and he was crying uh, and George Graham and, and some of the boys had to, to calm him down because there was another 45 minutes to play and I give him credit, he, he, he did a great job for the lads, he, he worked his heart out and made sure we got over the line and got to the final because, you know, it was, it was a dream come true to play in the European final for any player and he, he played such a huge part to get us there and then on the last... Thirdly, he'd fallen. So, yeah, it's not a crazy story. But 
it just gives you an idea of how wedded he was to the game, how desperately he wanted to achieve things and be a big part of it. And, and that was a big occasion that he missed. Yeah, I mean, one thing that 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 we all know that Ian has is is uh, emotion and and intensity and 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 that he cares and loves for the game. So, um, so yeah, the uh, Andy, you want to take this one? Yeah, what decision uh, that the club has made over the last year has been the most important in in your opinion, and why? Oh, over the last year. Um... I suppose to well trust in the manager first and foremost. Uh, he's, he, he's you know there's been some bumps in the road, uh, and another club might have started to lose confidence in him, thinking well he's a he's a young manager and maybe we should go for something more experienced. So yeah, I think that's been a big plus because if your manager hasn't got that authority, if you the players don't think he's there for the long term and he's in a stronger position than you, well, then you've got problems. And I think at Man United with Ralph Raniuk, I think that's a problem there. He's, he's obviously just a temporary measure. Players are thinking, well, you know, I don't need to impress you. Come uh, come August, you're not going to be here, and I am. So the manager has to be really a powerful um, mm. entity at a football club, the most powerful. So I think I'd say that. And then obviously the signings that he's made uh, uh, have come good. So um, it, it's all, all in one really. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, to Daniel uh, for the super chat, by the way. Uh, great show, guys. Keep up the good work. Um, we don't have to be any good when we have Alan Smith on because uh, you know, he uh, he pulls us up to, to a level that, uh, that we want to be at. So uh, and just as I say that, uh, <laughs> one of us disappears. So next question, Jared. Um, oh, first of all, Lori, uh, maybe get it in the match day program. He's talking about the, the 89 shirt. I am actually, uh, uh, 100%, uh, already working on it, something and Mark Brindle's going to, going to help me put it in the match day program. So hopefully that'll be in the, oh, in the game, in a game coming up. Uh, I I'd love to get the, the match day fans eyes on that, uh, on that raffle yeah. for sure. Cause a lot of that them probably, help sales. Mm. yeah, a lot of them really uh, probably have a very strong attachment to that game. So yeah. Uh, Jared, you want to take this? Sure. So this is from our good friend, Mark. Glad to see you in the chat as always. Uh, and this is probably a common question you get all the time now, uh, Alan, what one player from the 89 season do you think would benefit our current team the most? And he says, he adds on there, feel free to name yourself. <laughs> wow. Um, tricky one. Um, it's got to be oh, Perry Groves, right? Oh, well. <laughs> Super so grossy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had, we had a very good central midfield that day. Um, and obviously, we, we've got some good players in there now with Thomas Partey and Jacko and the like. But you're never quite sure of the balance there just now. Uh, on that night, we had Michael Thomas, who was just never stopped, you know, take away his goal, forget about that altogether. His overall performance was uh, immense in terms of his stamina. Uh, and he was next to Kevin Richardson. So I think that balance is maybe something that Arteta is still looking for. Richo would hold more and he'd be a digger, and win the ball back and, and give a simple pass. Mickey would be up and down all, all match. Um, great athlete. Um, so... Yeah, of course, we need a centre-forward. Of course, we do uh, for the next four or five years. But um, it, within that team, you know, I, I'd look at that central midfield partnership and hope that Arteta can get something similar in the next few years. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 unfair. You need two players. I think you need, you need Rocky and you uh, in there because that would transform this current lineup. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be a dynasty. Uh, at this point, uh, we have a user question from our uh, our compatriot uh, here at the Gunners podcast, Mike Hernandez, um, who's asking, you know, this is kind of a then versus now question. Did you hear a lot of negativity uh, comments when 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 someone would I mean, obviously, you're not reading on Twitter or, or Instagram uh, stuff from random people, but you would probably hear it in and around the stadium. Uh, at, at other parks, was it easier to brush off negativity and negative comments in your playing days than you think it is now for for the for the you know the current athletes? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, 
we would always read the papers and it's difficult it was difficult not to read them the day after win lose or draw and you'd have your favorite football writers and your least favorite who you always thought had got it in for you and you know the marks out of 10. four out of ten you're joking are you um <laughs> so yeah you do that but now of course social media has replaced that hasn't it you know and we'll let the boys and you'd like to tell them not to do it but it's a generation that you know it's just a part of their lives and they are bound to, to get involved with social media um so yeah, and, and it can affect players badly. It, it, you know, it could affect us to a certain extent, but then, you know, you oh, stop reading the paper for a bit. Um, but with social media, it snowballs as well. Uh, so I think I think it gets to the players much more. You know, I've heard tales of players going into the jacket pocket at half-time and having a look at Twitter to see what people are saying about them. I mean, you know, it gets to that lengths and it's it's ridiculous um what what would you say about you what would you say about you know enforcing blocking that out i mean not i don't know that you could really enforce a player on their private time to not access social media but um i mean we've certainly seen social media bring down individual players uh for controversial comments or even for just liking something that you're not supposed to be giving a thumbs up to because it has to do with it yeah, i mean it, 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 yeah. if you had said to someone in 1990 you know this top player is going to be turned on by his own fan base because he yeah. liked uh, an instagram post from an, from a rival player first they'd be like what the hell is instagram but then like i mean it just seems so ridiculous but uh yeah. so so i mean would you ban Self, I mean, would you drop your cell phone off when you get off that bus uh, and and give it back to them at the end of the you know when they're back on the bus on the way home? Or, well, yeah, I think I think some managers have banned them within the dressing rooms, uh, not just on a match day, but but training as well. Uh, but you see, uh, if somebody's well, you saw Liverpool having won the the Carabao Cup. You know, a lot of the boys were filming the celebration, so they they've got the phones in there. But I think any manager worth his salt, if he did see somebody reaching and having a sly glance at his, his phone at half time, he would come down. He would come down heavy. Um, but I think managers are conscious about that, about you know not having a group of players in the dressing room all with their heads down looking at the phones. And uh, important that you know you go into lunch after training and you do actually talk to each other. So I think there is a conscious effort by managers to to make sure that happens. Yeah, I know. Um, w w was it you? Uh, again, I, I'm fortunate enough that I've that I've kind of blurred together some of my conversations with 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 members of your of your '89 team. But I, you know, w someone was talking about you know the just the fact that that the talks between players on the bus on uh, to and from the games on the coach. Uh, were so vital, and now you've got people with their headphones in, and they're just tuned out, and they're you know yeah. they're posting to their Instagram story, and it just you know it's not even just a, an off the pitch thing. It's it, it it has to go to to teamwork and the level of kind of camaraderie that you have. That players are kind of in their silos as opposed to forced to, you know forced to be together in team building. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, we I, we wouldn't always be talking about the game. But the fact that you are just talking and chatting casually, you know, on the way up and having a laugh and a joke, it, it is that team bonding, isn't it? You, you get to know each other better and that helps out on the pitch. A lot of different nationalities now, so that, that plays a part with the language barriers and all that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's the job of a manager to make sure you can bring them all together and the best ones do, don't they? You know, the likes of Guardiola and Klopp, uh, they, they manage to do that. I think that you should like when you get on the, the the coach to the stadium, whether you're traveling or whether you're you're at home, you drop your phone in the bin, and then if you win the game, the phones are waiting for you on your seat in the dressing room. <laughs> if you lose the game, like it, you know, like I used to do with my son, I mean, you you have to be without the phone for a whole day afterwards because by then, wow. you know. God. <laughs> that's what i would do that's but, an infringement you know, I, of their their human rights that is mike you wouldn't be able to get away with that <laughs> that's that's what i'm known for though is infringing on people's yeah. human rights um, oh boy, I, yeah. I have tried and, and and struggled to find a way of 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 thanking you in in any sort of permanent uh or or fiscal way 
for what you've done. I finally figured out how to do it. We have Danny who has purchased your book online. Uh, oh, look at that. Brilliant. Heads, heads up a great, a great book. Um, I read it in one weekend before we had you on the first time. Cause I wanted to make sure, uh, you know, I, I was, I was trying to be a proper journalist and, and I loved it. I mean, I, I, I haven't read a book since or, or prior to that. Um, oh, but, uh, right. okay. But I did read that one. That's how I knew all about Alv Church and and uh, and yeah, Ken Fryer's yeah. uh, bathroom. So, that's um, it, yeah. yeah. Let's see. I think we we've got a couple more questions. Um, again, the comparison questions. People love these, uh, and I'm sure you hate them. But score prediction: eighty nine team versus Invincibles. <laughs> Score! Oh dear, dear, dear! In a, oh, in a two-legged match, one happening with eighty-nine <laughs> rules, the two subs and the and the proper tackling, and then one you know in the in the handbag era with uh, with the silky. As much as stuff. I'd like to say eighty-nine would win, I mean, some of the best players I've ever seen in the English game in that invincible team, obviously Henri and. Bergkamp, Fiera and the like. So I, th I think they would nick it maybe in both games. You know, we we'd have a good go at them, maybe try and ruffle them up a bit. But that was the thing with the Invincibles. They could handle themselves physically as well, couldn't they? And Bergkamp could uh, a little over-the-top tackle when it was minded to. Um, but um, we wouldn't roll over. We'd keep going. Uh, we'd get under their skin if we could. But uh, they did draw a lot of games, the Invincibles, didn't they, that season? And... Uh, our season in 1991, um, we drew a lot less games, but we did lose one game, of course. So that's what separates us. But uh, no, uh, I always say when people ask, you know, a best player you've seen, I always say Thierry, Thierry Henry. I just think he was magnificent. He kind of reinvented the striker's role uh, in many ways. Um, and plenty of them were, yeah, some of the best players I've seen. So I, I, I've got to go for, for Arsene Wenger's side. Well, that's, what what that's, the score would be? I don't know. Four it's two. a humble response. Yeah, I would like to think, realistic, you? I I would like to think it would go to a, a shootout, uh, to penalty kicks, and then right before the penalty kicks, Arsene Wenger would bring in what Alex Manager. So I'm trying to think of who was the uh, the because I, I wasn't I wasn't plugged in at the point. So he bring in the backup goalkeeper. Who would, oh, yeah. you know, miss, <laughs> who, who would miss 11 save opportunities and then sky it over the net. That would be, that would be the storybook ending. Um, so, uh, again, Daniel, uh, with the super chat, Daniel, by the way, has a, uh, has a great channel. I, have you, have you been on with Daniel before? Uh, Daniel Bailey? Uh, no. Well, he's, I, I highly recommend that if he reaches out to you, he's, he's a great guy. Um, he's a member of the, uh, of the fan forum, I guess when they elected a member from kind of the, 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 the foreign fans, the fans with disabilities and so on. And Daniel's a, a, a guy that's been blind for a long time and, and knows more and can describe better the action uh, in an Arsenal game than I can. And I'm fully sighted. So I, I, he, he wants to know if the book is available in audio format, which explains why yeah. he's asking that. Yeah, well, a lot of people have actually said that and asked that, and uh, I'm, I, I was kicking myself that I didn't actually put it to the publishers. It's not available in audio, which I think it would have been a good good one, because obviously everybody knows my voice from, from commentating and FIFA and that. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not known. It's probably too late to do it now. Well, I, don't, I think it's never too late to do it. We obviously Maybe have people buy I'll be happy to, 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 to you know do the voiceover for it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if it comes to like, I, I want to do it, but I don't want to actually take the time to do it. Also, because what people do with those audiobooks uh, is they, they cut and splice the words and they put it into like really inappropriate comments where you're where it's you saying it, but it's you saying it in like eight different sentences that were all cut and taken out of context. So you got to be careful about that. That's probably why I would, I would yeah, well, I would voice it myself, but maybe there's a part for you, Mike. And Jared, you know, you could be George Graham and, you know, Jared could be uh, Rocky Roadcastle or somebody when I do quote them. So, you know, speaking of which, I almost completely forgot to mention the last time I saw you, uh, which was not on our podcast. It was at the Barbican. Uh, back oh, in, yes. Yes. Back in, back in November. Uh, yeah. 
yeah. an amazing night. And and you know, I've been remiss in not having um, the the composer. This was a uh, an Arsenal. How would you describe it? It was it was an '89 team kind of uh, an Anfield '89 expose or watching it on video set to an incredibly scored yeah classical it was original, music live. Original music uh, written to go with the action. So an edited version of the match. And this composer wrote some music to go with it. You know, the highs and the lows. And obviously the high and building up to Mickey's goal. Um, and the cymbals crashing and everything. I mean, it was the BBC Symphony Orchestra, wasn't it? An 86-piece. Yeah. I think, was it the BBC? Uh, but an 86-piece orchestra it was brilliant because i don't think they'd been together in such numbers for a long time because of covid and to, to listen to them on the night was was fantastic but yeah a lot of people that went said that they that they really enjoyed it it was just something different wasn't it it, it was and i was so fortunate to, to to find out about it because i mean i wasn't even i was supposed to have left london and i ended up staying a, a week longer for reasons i won't go into but i was very thrilled because not only did i get to see that but two nights later, I was able to be at the uh, at the Arsene Wenger David Dean uh, event um, as well, and and just those two things, you know, just bringing back the good memories, the positivity. All but one person in attendance at the two things combined was absolutely just loving the. I mean, do you remember the guy shouting from the back of the room at the Barbican at George Graham no. about why he went to Tottenham? I, I'm glad you don't remember that. There were that oh guy no, was, I didn't hear it. He when was we very stage. drunk and very obnoxious, and we were we were about to attack that guy because he was just the whole time during the panel. Because after this was three parts. The first part was just pure orchestral symphony music, and I don't think anyone expected it. I certainly didn't, and so people were like, "Where's the football?" <laughs> it was yeah. it was a beautiful piece, but I, I I went there with my friend Lee Judges, and and uh, and 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 he he was like, "I thought you told me this was an Arsenal musical." Like yeah. I said, no, the players aren't going to come out onto the stage and sing like then I passed it to Alan. <laughs> That's what he thought it was going to be, but I was like, no, just be patient because clearly there's some musical it's, it's involvement, coming. and yeah. then we're going to get to yeah. the Arsenal bit. But mm -hmm. it was fantastic, Things and then you, it. you, uh, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, and George Graham all sitting together, being interviewed and talked to by by Amy Lawrence. Uh, and and having the the kindness and the grace to come out and kind of greet people afterwards was was really enjoyable. So it was great to get to see you again there, um, yeah. and a really really fun yeah. event. I think you can go to the Barbican website and there's a link that you can watch it at um, oh, even wow. now. So yeah. uh, so if anybody you know wasn't lucky enough to be there or listen to it on the night, I highly highly recommend it. Um, I think we are. Uh, Oh, hold on a second. Ask him the tyranny question. Super, super Kev is wrong. <laughs> uh, the tyranny question. I'm, I'm, I'm actually struggling to remember what the tyranny question was. Uh, be more specific. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm scrolling question. up to see this. Oh, here we go. Okay, from Sophie at the Highbury Squad, who hosts a, uh, obviously a great podcast with with your your teammate, your ex teammate, Super Kev. Please ask Smudger if he thinks tyranny is an experienced player. <laughs> an interesting question. Oh right, okay. I wonder if she thinks he's not. I don't know. Um, um, I'll, I'll tell yes. you what they think after you answer. I well, I think he is an experienced player. He obviously had a lot of experience up at Celtic, uh, winning trophies and being a regular. Um, and he, he's come down and uh, been a great fan favourite. He's, he's obviously a fine talent who will get better. He's had one or two down moments he's had his injury problems but he's, he's he's a great character you know a lot of people see him as a future captain of arsenal um no nonsense player old school in many ways and crosses a great ball so uh yeah he's got most of the things you'd want from a from a left back i think you've just made sophie very happy <laughs> so please <laughs> please screenshot this sophie uh you can you can uh you can give it to to, to kev on the next show um, sorry, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see it at first, but uh, so oh, yeah. Super we're, we're... says no. Okay, yeah. That's that's a surprising one. I mean, he's one of the few guys on the team with Champions League experience, international experience. He captain Celtic. I mean, they mm. 
he's got a lot going for him. I'm a little surprised <laughs> Super Kev said no. You know, it, uh, what I like what I like about their what I like about their podcast is that uh, you know it, it contains it's the one podcast that has a host who has the experience of not only playing football but playing for the Arsenal and loving and coming through the system for the Arsenal. Yet their incredible viewership, which is has grown organically and and fantastically, they don't just simply. I mean, the, Kevin is at the point where. He isn't super Kevin Campbell who must be respected and agreed with at all times. He has an opinion. People will let him know when they think it's wrong. Not just Sophie, but the chat as well. And it's, it, I, again, yeah. I can't, you see me on there a lot, including yesterday do, talking about the financial reports that come out. It's because I can't love enough what they're doing there. And, and, and I just like being a part of it. So thanks. So for, uh, for returning the favor uh, today. And it's a great question to ask. And now you can, now you can hold one over, over Kevin after your, after your big <laughs> argument that you did in front of me yesterday. So uh, we've hit an hour, Alan, uh, I, I can't thank you enough again for everything that you have done for a podcast. You are on our hundredth show. You've been on our, our, our podcast, uh, our, our charity fundraising show, all the work behind the scenes that you've done. I truly, truly appreciate it. And um, and I just hope that the relationship continues. That I don't finally just start kind of needling at you for things and needling at you for things until you tell me to go away. That would be my biggest nightmare. No, 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 no. It's been good to see you both, and uh, you know, wish Gunners v Cancer all the very best. Let's hope you raise lots of money for that shirt, and you should do. You should do, right. mate. So congratulations to you for you know instigating this. Brilliant. Well, and and thank you for your for your annual participation and 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 support. Uh, and and Jared, who uh, has gotten very involved in Gunners versus Cancer this year, I'm sure feels uh, the same way. Jared Jared's kind of been my right hand man when it came to the last year's uh, and any and so far this year's campaign. So it's becoming a, a team thing, and I'm hoping it'll become a a football thing as opposed to just an Arsenal thing going forward. Those. Those are the plans I have, but you know, we'll see how it goes. But we're already uh, we're already ahead of the game with support of you and and your teammates and everybody else. So, uh, mm -hmm. Jared, where are we going to see you this week? Any uh, any announcements? Any are you are you going to start doing your own podcast as well, like Mike did? <laughs> no, I, I wish I had the time to the time to do that. I, the few I get to jump on with uh, our regular group is about all I can handle. But uh, look forward to doing them again, Alan absolute pleasure to to get and sit and talk with you for the hour it's been great and i know mike said it but it needs to be said again the, the work you've done to create kind of i think the most unique piece of arsenal memorabilia uh, out there to raise a, a good amount of money for a really good cause has been fantastic so thank you again no pleasure Jared. Pleasure. the last thing i quickly want to say in a selfish way is uh i've been on a high all day today for for two reasons one is knowing that we're going to get to talk to alan the other is uh, that my son came home today from school, uh, Jake, who I hope you'll meet soon. Uh, he's 18. He's in his final year of high school. And uh, he got a, a perfect score on his public speaking, on his big public speaking speech where you had to give a speech about someone who has positively influenced your life. And I didn't know. I, I just assumed he would do mesodosal. Uh, but, but he apparently picked me, uh, oh, and he, talk, he talked about how our shared experiences through, through sport and specifically through, you know, Arsenal and traveling overseas and, and having that be a big bond for us has kind of, you know, shown him how he wants to, to, you know, eventually have a relationship with his own kids. And I was just, you know, proud of him for getting the, the, the perfect score in the exam, but I mean, you know gotta be doing something right, I guess, to have, have a son like that. So, uh, I'm excited to be over in England to, and, and, and build the next chapter in that. And hopefully, uh, if you're on commentary for the, for the Brighton game, or even if you're, uh, away at palace, we'll, we'll hopefully find a way of, of, of having a, a quick chat or, or, a, or a hello, but, uh, but if not, we'll do it again sometime. So, okay. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Thank you, Joe. Jared. And, and thanks to uh, everybody in the chat. I hope you're okay, uh, Andy. If you had to log off, I certainly didn't see it, but uh, we're going to assume that you're okay. And until next time, come on, you Gooners.